We are starting a new series today that we'll be going through most of this summer, and it is on the Bible. And if you're new, you're thinking, okay, I came to church. I expect and I hope that you talk something about the Bible. But what we're talking about is that kind of the, the big stories. We're going to go through the big famous stories. Did you know that most of the movies that you see are in some way, the storyline is some way based upon something that you'll find in Scripture? There's nothing new under the sun. They're, they are ripping the Bible off everywhere you look. All the scandal, all the love, all the, you know, the redemption, the, the hero that wins in the end, the, the, the little guy that beats the big guy, it's all from Scripture. And so we're going to look at some of those big stories and we're going to talk about those things and I, it will be a fun summer. So don't miss if you can help it if you're in town. Uh, before we get into that, I want to tell you a story. I am not a... Um, I'm not much for camping. Um, full disclosure, I'm not a camper. My, my dad grew up with my grandfather, was like a traveling preacher guy. So like literally a trailer, and they went around like the dust bowls of the Southwest, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, and that range. And they would go from place to place and from tent to tent, and he would preach to all these people. He was one of those guys, he got fired up, tapped his foot a lot, he played like, played like 10 instruments, he was crazy. But my dad was in this trailer and would be, get, kind of get dragged around everywhere he went, and they didn't have very much. In fact, my grandfather, when he would go to town, town to town, he would actually sell vacuums to pay the bills because he didn't get paid much for preaching. They would literally often pay him with a bag of beans. True story. Uh, I've seen pictures of the family in this like, big sack of beans. They're like, thanks for coming to our city. And uh, so my grandpa did that. So my dad, I think, was just kind of tired of camping. So we did not camp growing up. Uh, so I have to get my camping story from a friend. And a friend of mine told me that recently when they were out camping, they had, he has this little son, I don't know, like eight, nine years old. And they had the tent, and they were set up, and they were doing their thing, and it was great, little fire, and, you know, winding down for the night. And, this, and the boy goes, and he grabs his sleeping bag out of the tent, and he says, Dad, I want to go sleep out in front of the stars. Is that Okay. And he's like, sure. I mean, you can go like six feet in that direction, and you, but you can sleep under the stars. You can, you can do that. That's, that's fine. So the little kid goes. He like pushes the envelope a little bit, maybe like 10 feet. He you know, still sees mom and dad in the tent. But he lays out his blanket in his tent, and he lays there for a few minutes. And then after about five minutes, the kid comes back and just like lays down silent in the, in the tent. And mom and dad, dad goes, you know, little Johnny, like you didn't want to, you changed your mind. You didn't want to stay out underneath the stars in the sky, and the kid, and you know, the, the, the wisdom of, from the mouths of babes, that's what I was looking for, that's that little slogan, from the mouths of babes, he turns to his dad, and he goes, I just never knew I was so small. Have you had that feeling? And when you look at all of God's creation, when you look in, at a newborn baby, when you look at all how huge the world is, when you see little pictures of the universe and the galaxies and the enormous planets and all these things, and you look at little earth and you, and you look at little, your little house on your little cul-de-sac and your little town on little earth, do you feel small? Do you feel maybe sometimes insignificant? Is there something in you that just goes, man, I am like... This is a big God. This is a big world, a big creation. If, if you do, you're in good company. Uh, David said something like that in the 
in the psalm, Psalm 8, I want to read to you what he said as he's writing this kind of this, this song to God. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? When I look at how big and vast this universe is, and every new scientist and new theory only finds out that it's even bigger still, when I look at all of this, I think, how in the world do you pay attention to me? How do you care so much about me? And David is singing this song to him saying, I feel loved by you because I look at how incredible this creation is and I know that you created me too. And he's talking about humans in verse 5. He says, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals, birds, fish, They all swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I never knew I was so small, and yet I am so loved. Look at this big space. Look at what you have made. You did all this, and you still care for me? You have all this, and I still matter? You you attend to all living things, and you still have time to attend to my needs. So when you and I hear things like that, or when we come in contact with an infant or creation or something that's big and crazy and bold and beautiful in terms of what God has made, we have one of two responses. You and I do. We either respond in amazement, God, this is unbelievable, and you still love me, or in insecurity. I feel disconnected from this big God. I feel small, I feel vulnerable, I feel at risk, I feel like I don't matter, I feel like I'm on my own, certainly this God doesn't care about me. We go in one of those two directions. You do, and even if you don't think you do because you haven't thought about this enough, you have probably numbed yourself at the bigness of creation because at one point you did feel that insecure, that insignificant, that small. That's just what we do. In your notes, I have this fill-in. It says, the incredible scope of God's creation either astonishes you or embarrasses you. You're either amazed or you feel somewhat kind of ashamed and distant and small, and that is more about you than it is about God. There is something that has happened that we're going to talk about that makes you feel the way you do. Now, more than just your parents or, or things that happened to you when you were a kid or science class or getting beat up and bullied or, uh, you know, acne at a really bad time growing up, uh, more than any of those things, we're going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to show you where this insecurity, this insignificance started and, where, and why we still feel the effects of it today. Genesis 1, 4. Genesis 1, 1 through 4, back to the beginning. Now, here's the deal. I know that many of you have heard this story before. And even if you haven't, if you didn't grow up going to church, you still have an idea about Adam and Eve and things like that. I want you to try to hear and see with new eyes because I believe that God will literally give you a different lens through which you can see this story today. And so I want you to invite him to do that. In the beginning, God 
four words. We'll stop there. In the beginning, God. There wasn't other things. It's not in the beginning, Mom. It's not in the beginning, you. It's not in the beginning, Oprah. Or I don't know. I don't know. It's in the beginning, God. God. There was nothing else. Only God was at the beginning. As smart as you may be, as creative, as brilliant, as much as you may have accomplished, I'm pretty sure I could guesstimate the time frame when you showed up on this planet. In the beginning, though, was this God. And he created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis 1-3. And God says, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke, and there was. It came into being. God saw that the light was good. Notice that he saw that the light was good. And he separated light from darkness. He called light day, and the darkness he called Night. Now, throughout the rest of human history, God kind of hands the reins of earth over to humans, and he lets Adam and Eve, he lets humankind name everything else. But God named light and darkness, night and day. So there must be something significant to this idea of light, that when he spoke it, it became and this is what he chose to name, okay? Keep that in mind. Genesis 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as a sign to mark sacred times, days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, and it was so. God speaks and things happen. Do you know what it is to hear God's voice? He still speaks. Verse 16, God made two great lights. Notice this, two great lights. Maybe you haven't thought or haven't noticed this before. The greater light to govern, notice this word govern, govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. Two lights, one to govern the day, the lesser light governs the night. So even in the night, in the dark, there's still light. He also made stars and he set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Quick little recap. There's nothing and now there's something. God speaks and things come into existence. There's the absence of design and now there's design. And he introduces this idea of leadership, of authority, of governing. And he makes light govern a certain light govern the day and another light govern the night. So they have influence over leadership of oversight of these different things. And so God, the creator of everything, the authority of everything, is now beginning in his design to create an authority structure. And he says light will separate from darkness and light will govern this darkness. And that is where this is introduced in the story. Now, I was recently walking... Uh, <laughs> I was at this retreat thing, and there was a cabin here that everyone was hanging out at, and then my cabin where I sleep is down the way about a quarter of a mile. Now, in the daytime, I had walked up in a straight line because I'm about efficiency through the woods to the other place where I needed to be. 
because I could see. Now, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and I could not see. And I don't know if you've been in the woods lately, but the trees do this thing where they kind of like block out the sky. And so when you're looking up and it's a bunch of trees, they have leaves and branches and things. I know, we're city folks, so I'm just kind of making this clear. And so there, there's like a canopy, and you can't see through to the stars in the sky and the, and the moon that are the things giving you light in the darkness. And so I looked at that, and I was with another guy, and he was like, ah, let's just go through. And I think to myself, that's stupid, um, because I don't know what's in the dark. When things are dark, you never know what's lurking out in the, you know, dark places. Also, side note, you could walk into a ditch, a hole, step on a stone, roll your ankle, walk through spider webs. There could be a bear trap. I don't know. There's any kinds of different things in the darkness, in the woods, and so why would I walk through the pitch black darkness? And you're like, don't you have a flashlight on your app, you know, phone? Maybe, maybe I didn't have my phone with me, okay? So I just happened to be without my phone in the woods, and I needed to get home, or to this cabin. And so I chose to walk an extra, like, half a quarter of a mile out of the way, just to get to the road, so that there was clearing, so that there was maybe some streetlights and the moon, so that I could see where I was going, got back to the cabin, and there was a guy in there named Gerardo. He's a good friend of mine. He's a Hispanic guy that grew up in, uh, in, the, in, in a rough part of San Pedro. And we explained to him the deal, and he goes, oh, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't go in the woods. <laughs> he, he, he said, uh, he said, you know, anytime, late at night, give me the hood over the woods. I, I, <laughs> I am not safe in the woods. Who knows what is in the woods? And why is that true? You'd rather Gerardo, and maybe me too, would rather be in the hood where there's like, you know, bad stuff could happen, but at least I can see than in the woods where I'm blinded and it's a blackout, right? Because there is something about darkness that we don't trust for good reason. Because God gave us the light to govern the darkness, that was his plan. There, is, there are things in the darkness that, are, that we don't trust that make us feel uncomfortable, and that has been the case for a long time. What else happens at night for most of you? You sleep, I hope. And so, and so we sleep during the night, and, and God gives us these rhythms of life. Day, we go about our business, and at night, most of us try to sleep. And here's the thing about some of us who work, 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 and build into ourselves and train ourselves to only require like three or four nights of sleep, what you are saying is that you're not sure that you trust that you can turn everything over to God's control. He gives us those rhythms, and he gives us the need to sleep so that every night we have this reminder that we are not the ultimate authority, that he has worked this thing out, that his design is such that he separated night and day and light and darkness and that he gives us this time to live and go about what we do and then we are required sleep to trust him and remind ourselves that he's ultimately in control. I have this four-month-old baby, Jack. That kid sleeps. When he sleeps, why do they say he sleeps like a baby? Because they don't worry about stuff. He's pretty, as far as he knows, mom's gonna give him the milk in the morning and he's okay, you know? There is something to that trust that God has built in to his design. Now, verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, here's where things get a little bit more interesting. Let us make mankind in our own image. 
in our likeness. Not that we would be gods, but that we would be like God with his thumbprint in his image. So that they may rule over the fish. Notice this word rule, this governing, this authority thing. It's, it's here again. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea. I don't know, Triton. I've never like, I don't know how we would do that. But just understand like we have authority over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. Authority, that was his idea. That he makes us in his image so that we can then have authority over everything else that he creates. We are the ones made in his image so that we can now manage the rest of his creation. That is his design. Now, spoiler alert, things go terribly wrong. Any of you that have cats already understand this. So, <laughs> so there's this, there, there's something has clearly gone wrong. This authority structure is in question But in verse 27, he says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Some of you, you know, that's the first instruction that God ever gave, you know, human beings. Make babies. Some of you have really taken that to heart. And you're, you're you're like, I am obedient. I've got four and five coming. But that was his first instruction. Go and have kids and do, and you know, this is yours to manage. I'm giving this to you. This is my design. Fill the earth and subdue it. Manage it. There's that word again. Rule over the fish and the birds. You see how he's driving this home. You are ambassadors. You are delegates of mine. I am empowering you. Creation, it's yours to manage. And then it gets even better still. Look at Genesis 1 chapter, or uh, verse 29 says, Then, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant. Stop there. Just, just If you have, or you're following along, or you have, just circle that. I give you. Notice, I give you every. There's power in that. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. Every tree that has fruit with a seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything in it that has, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Some of you need to recognize this today. That everything you have is a gift. You think, no, 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 no. But, but if you knew the way I came up and I came up from this and I bootstrapped this thing and I got myself going. No, no. Everything you have is a gift. Who, who allowed you to be born in the, into this century, in this economy, and in this part of the Western world? Who gives you the mind that's in your head? Who opened the door and opportunities and let things fall into place? Who allowed you to attract good people around you to make things happen? Who brought this person into your life at the right time? Who, who, who has been overseeing this whole thing? Everything you have is a gift. And clearly, the world that we see around us is not anymore how God intended it. There's, there's abuses of authority, there's corrupt leadership, there's self-centeredness, there's brokenness, there's death, there's killing, there's war. There's, you know, death itself was not in God's design. We treat other people poorly, and we even oftentimes ignore the existence of God. For some, it's only six days a week, and then, you know, Sundays we remember, but... 
This was not the way he originally designed it to go. Something has gone wrong. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, 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 I know. I've, I've heard this part of the story, right? It's like, it's like Eva or um, who's, that, who's the chick that got duped by the slithery thing, uh, you know, at the place with the, with the thing, you know? I, I, know, I know how the story goes. That's, that's the fall. I don't know if that's metaphorical or if someone really tripped, but, you know, there was, a, there was like a falling out with God. And I get... Here's the thing. What we're going to look at right here in Genesis 3 is not just something that happened a long time ago. It is something that still happens to you every day. There is great relevance for us in these next words. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other animals that God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What God had said was that they could have anything, we just read that, except for one tree. Just one tree to remind them that he was the authority. That's it. No withholding, not, not that fruit was better than other fruit, and I just don't want you to have that fruit. I just, I just want to remind you that I'm the ultimate authority. I'm your God. I'm your creator. So just don't eat from this one tree. And everything's going around fine. And then you have the slithery snake guy, and he comes in, and he says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from a tree? Right? And with that question is the introduction of evil on this earth as we know it. And with that question, he introduced the idea that maybe God can't be trusted. That was the first time that God had been questioned. That was the first little glimpse of cynicism. That maybe God doesn't have your best interest in mind. Why would he hold out anything from you? Why wouldn't he let you have? It's just a tree, right? Did God really say that? That seems kind of harsh and unfair. Like, why would he? Maybe, maybe you're missing out on something. Like, these other people seem to be having some fun and their life is going okay. Or maybe you're missing. Does God really have your best interest in mind? Then verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say not to eat from this one in the middle of the garden. He said that if we touch it or ate from it, that we, would, that we would die. You certainly will not die, says the serpent to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You certainly will not die. So here's what happens. With every lie that we believe, there's a little bit of truth in it. And this enemy, this serpent, is pretty crafty, right? And so he knows that the reality is when they took a bite of this thing, they didn't physically die immediately. So he had some truth in there. But, the, but what God was saying is with every disobedience comes a death. You separate yourself from me. You fall out of this design, this orchestrated plan, this authority thing that I have in place for your own good. And with every act of disobedience or sin or whatever comes a death. So he got them with this little, like, shiny half-truth. No, you certainly will not die immediately. He just doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's just holding out on you. And if you do, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. That's the sexy hook right there. And that's where we still eat every day because we want to be our own authority. 
We want to be the final word. We want to know what's best for us. And so he got him with that, and he gets us with that every day. You will be like God. You will be in charge. You will be your own point person. You will be your own board of directors. You will be your own. God, he's, you know, he just doesn't want you to have the same power and authority as him. And so they get outside of this design and this thing that God has built for their own good. And they reject God's authority. And we have this glimpse of the original sin. And it's the same thing that we still struggle with today. And so look what happens in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, there's always some kind of an attractiveness, right? And desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was apparently right there. And he ate it because guys know that if a pretty girl puts food in front of you, you just eat it. In verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized, get this, they realized that they were naked. They had always been naked, but now they realized it. Introduction of shame and insecurity. When you fall outside of God's design and his authority, immediate vulnerability, nakedness, aloneness, feeling that I'm exposed. You know that nightmare when you're a kid like that you wake up from like this, that you showed up to school without any clothes on? <laughs> right? And some of you have had that. It's not just me, right? <laughs> Therapy. Um, so <laughs> they had that, like the real that, like the original that. They had that. Like they, they were just all of a sudden hanging out and you know, the husband-wife thing, and then they looked down and they were like, dang, this is awkward. Um, how did this happen? We, wait, we've had, there was this, and then God, and we, and then now I'm, and all of a sudden there's this separation, and they find themselves on the side of the dark and not the light, and they, and they find themselves on the side of the rebelliousness and not the design and the authority, and in that moment, insecurity is introduced, and doubt is introduced, and, and shame is introduced. I remember when I was in high school and um, it was senior year and I didn't do much bad stuff because I was like the oldest kid and I was just like on that, you know, path. I was the, you know, responsible one for my brothers and everything, everything like that. But my senior year, someone talked me into skipping a couple of periods at the end of the day. And so I forged a note and took it to the thing. My parents want me to miss the rest of the afternoon of school. Like sweaty palms, you know, I don't know. And so whatever it is, she sees like the lie in my eyes and she ends up calling my parents. And so I get back from the beach, uh, obviously, and, and I show up and both of my parents are there and they're like, did you, did you forge a note today? And I just lie. I'm like a 17-year-old about to go to USC and I'm just like bawling. I'm sorry, I don't know. I didn't. That's, the first, that's the first time in a, like a long time that I had been like in trouble for something. And I felt exposed. I felt like they're seeing some like, dark, bad thing in me. And I feel exposed. And I feel shameful. And I feel nasty. You guys know what that feels like. I know you do. You're like me. You, you've, you've had something exposed. You've done something. You'd be like, ah, I feel, ah, this is, there's something that's not good here. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't like this about me. I, I feel disconnected. I feel small. I feel out of it. I feel isolated. I feel 
lonely. This is where that started, and this is how that still happens today because there is a design, and if you find yourself feeling insecure, feeling isolated, feeling ashamed, it's because you are outside of God's authority. It's because something has happened, and you've made some kind of compromise, and you've doubted God in some way, and now you find yourself on your own and a sense of disconnectedness. This is where that comes from. But it's not just then. It's now. It's still very, very real. And so verse 8, he goes on, the man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden because they were naked. But the Lord said to them, where are you? And so the man answered, I I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And some of you and and some of our friends and loved ones are still hiding right now because of their shame, because of their insecurity. And instead of going to this God who created them that can make it right, we hide because of our embarrassment. It's what we do. We hide. So he said, I hid because I realized I was naked. Verse 11, this is powerful. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Who have you been listening to? It's not God who condemns them. He says, this is, I created all this and this simple little boundary for you. Who the heck have you been listening to? What have you been doing? Who led you astray? Why did you believe them? And some of you that are parents or that you know how this works with your parents, you you know this deal. You're like, I I gave you everything. I put this simple little parameter for your own sake so you don't die. Who have you been listening to that's gotten you so off track? This is not my design. I just love you. This is why I did this. It's for your own good. And so we think about our kids and we think about somebody else, but for a moment, think about you because you do this too. And God would ask you, who have you been listening to? Who have you been listening to? Because I have this design and I have this authority and it's not because I'm a buzzkill. It's because I care about you. This just works better this way. When you listen to other things that make you doubt God, you get yourself in trouble every single time. Who told you that you were naked? He asks. And then, classic man move in verse 12. The man said, the woman you put me here with, um, (laughs) she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it because that's what guys do when a pretty woman puts food in front of them. It's her fault. And so what happens and what always happens is when we choose to go outside of God's authority and when we choose to make ourselves like God and do our own thing, it not only isolates us from him, it isolates us from each other. And we blame and we compare and we fault find and we try to make it not about us and take the focus off of us and our shame and our nakedness and our insecurity. 
and we isolate ourselves even from other people. And if you feel isolated today, if you feel disconnected, that is what is happening. You are outside of God's authority in some way. You've chosen to make yourself like God, kind of competing with him and and want to be your own boss. And you will inevitably feel shame, disconnection, insecurity, and start to isolate because it's the human condition. This is not a story just about way back when. This is a story about today. And this is the world that we've been born into. And that is why there is so much darkness. That is why there is so much death. That is why there is so much war. That is why there is so much distrust. That's why there's so much hatred. And that's why we often feel alone because the world is broken. So good luck and we'll see you. Um, (laughs) But that's not how God left us. We know And even if you're not a church person and you're new, just checking it out, you know that there's something about this Jesus and there's something about salvation and there's something about forgiveness. There's something about restoration. There's some kind of a hero and a hope for us. And so watch, watch what God does and remember the observations that we made previously, okay? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4. Because when the things were at their darkest, when God hadn't spoken or showed up in any way to humankind for 400 years, and it was the darkest time in history, light comes back into the picture. Verse 15 says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. The reintroduction of the authority of light, separating light from darkness. And God introduces himself back into the picture in the form of light, in the form of Jesus. And he says, those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, turn, change your ways, change what you've been doing because I'm here. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. Light has come back into the darkness. I'm separating light and darkness. I know it's been kind of confusing for a while, but here's the deal. Authority restored. Here I am. You can have relationship with God and with me again. And I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for you. We're going to figure this whole thing out so that everything is forgiven and you can be restored to what I intended you to be. And you can be a part of the restoration plan for this earth that feels like it's gone bad, but I still have a plan. I'm still on the move. Light has come back. And he goes, different passage, Isaiah 40, saying a similar thing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, God, he, Jesus, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. Do you feel small? It's okay, because you are small. The good news is that you are also crazy deeply loved. His people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. Jesus confirms his authority. And he came back to show his love and say, it's not ruined. It's not over for you. You're not done for. You're not just destined to be disconnected and embarrassed and shameful and naked. I want this restored. I want this relationship 
back with you. And then here's the kind of the clincher. Here's where it all comes full circle. 2 Corinthians 5.17, after he went to the cross and he says, this is paid for, your debt is paid. By the way, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. They are a recreation. There is a redesign that happens from the inside out. We'll make this right from the inside. We'll try this whole thing again. And it's not going to be about your ability to say and do all the right stuff. It's not going to be whether or not you listen to the slithery guy anymore. I'm just going to take care of it because I died once and for all to restore this order. And he says, you can be a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And that is true of you today. The moment that you just acknowledge and say, yeah, I... I'm not good at being God. That hasn't worked out so well. So I turn and I, I want to, this thing to work the way you designed it to work. I'm in. I'm with you. And that relationship with your father, your creator, your designer, your friend is restored. And you can hear his voice. And you can co-create with him in life. Walking side by side the way he designed you to live. That is his invitation. That is what he wants. And so today, if you have felt embarrassed, ashamed, naked, insecure, disconnected, feeling small in this big, crazy world, it's because you have fallen in some way outside of God's design and his authority. But you're not forgotten. You're not done for. You're not, you're not hopeless. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as the scripture says. Everyone. And he has made a way for you to be recreated. That is why we gather here on Sundays. That is why we do this life together, because that is a story that we, that is the good news. You are forgiven. There is no more shame, no more nakedness, no more insecurity, no more isolation, no more warring against other people like it's their fault. God has restored you. And for some of you, maybe for the first time, he wants to restore you this morning. And I just want you to pray and invite that to be true of you. To say, hey, you know, in some ways, I have, I have been my own God. I have gone out of my own, out of your authority structure. I have questioned you. And looking back, it's stupid, I know. But will you please forgive me? I want to come under your authority. I want to live this life as you designed it because I believe that that's how it works best. And wherever you fall on that, wherever you are in your life, that is his invitation. And he wants to make you a new creation, more and more like him each day. God, we, we acknowledge that we are broken, that we, have, we participate in that weird fall in the beginning, and, and we make decisions to fall outside of your authority all the time. We ask for your forgiveness, God, and we ask that you would make us new, that you would, you would restore to us that original design, that original plan, that we could just walk with you and be friends with you and hear your voice and co-create and manage your creation. Love each other well and, and, and to be confident in who you have made us to be. We don't want to be those who compare and judge and criticize and get insecure and cover up and isolate. That all is just brokenness. We want to walk with you. We want the life that you designed, that you intended. God, thank you for making us new. In Jesus' name.